Well, welcome to Who's Talking. This is D.G. Martin. Uh, this is a time to prepare for Thanksgiving. Uh, Thanksgiving, of course, is a time to be thankful. It's a time of family gatherings, of celebrations, of anticipation, of tension, of course, all these things and much more. But it's also a time for, um, hopefully, for a time for reflection. And I've asked my guest, uh, William Friday, uh, President Emeritus of the University of North Carolina, and Robert Dunham, who is the senior minister at the University Presbyterian Church, to join me as we prepare for Thanksgiving uh, to think about some of the Thanksgivings of the past in Chapel Hill and other places, and to talk about uh, the kinds of reflection <clears throat> that we may be having as we uh, prepare for Thanksgiving. So, Mr. Friday and uh, Robert Dunham, thank you very much for joining me. Glad to be here. Thank you, D.G. Mr. Friday, it's always, uh, maybe uh, we should start, it's always so much fun and interesting for those of us who are newcomers to Chapel Hill to think about what it was when you were a newcomer to Chapel Hill. And I think you, did you first come during the, during the Second World War, after the, after the Second World War? I came here on February 7, 1946. Ida and I drove back into town in a Chevrolet coupe with every worldly possession we had after 44 months of active duty. And uh, we found an attic in the house here in town, had a four-by-four column in the center and four nails, and that was our closet. And that's the way we began. (laughs) I never will forget it. But uh, Thanksgiving in those days, D.G., was very interesting in Chapel Hill. There was a cafeteria on the main block of town there, and uh, you could walk down the street, and there'd be Congressman Carl Durham and John Wesley Umstead and Mr. Eubanks, who owned the bank, and uh, Bob Madry or Collier Cobb, and they'd be sitting down there, and Carl Durham would come up, and here was a man who was chairman of the Congressional Nuclear Energy Committee sitting there smoking his pipe talking about what you're going to have for Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> it was one of those really wonderful experiences of Homeness. Now you were a young. I mean, you weren't. Um, you weren't the Bill Friday whom everybody in Chapel Hill and all over the state and all over the world knows. Then you were just a young veteran. And would they give you the time of day if you walked? Oh up? yes, yes. Uh, well, we were the older group. We were twenty six, twenty seven, twenty eight years of age. All of us, most all of us, were married, and uh, some had children. And uh, this was a class that had Bill Acock in it and William Dees and Terry Sanford and Bill Johnson, people like that who uh, met business, and we went straight through. We didn't take summer holidays. Maybe that was a mistake because we were all too tired, but we wanted to get on with it. But uh, you got into the flavor of this little town, which is what it was in those days. And uh, when you look back on it now— uh, Thanksgiving, say for in our family, has been become the time when you gather, not Christmas anymore, because children grow up, they have their own families, they want their own Christmas tradition. But uh, Mary has come home, for example, from Singapore, and uh, we're just enjoying having her here so much. And uh, this evening, we're going to take the granddaughter for her. The whole family is going to sit around and celebrate her birthday. So uh, this is what's happening with us. But Thanksgiving is all the things you said in the introduction of this program, but uh, uh, DG, as you get older, you get troubled by more things, and when you see so much plenty, 
that one class of society has and know if you're at least the least bit observant that in our culture today there are far too many people who don't have access to food and health care and uh, whatever housing, jobs, uh, and these situations bother me on a Thanksgiving cycle, and uh, I'm doing what little bit I can to help out here. I, I've um, Before we were uh, beginning this, y'all were kidding me about my my conversations with uh, Jan Karen and the Midford series, and one of the things that I, I, I've paid attention to in looking at uh, some of Jan Karen's books is the, is that she lays out in the text the prayers of uh, people before meals and all of this, and it, it got me thinking about the kinds of prayers that we uh, say before our meals, and then when you come to Thanksgiving. Uh, you feel obligated, you know, to do a, have a little special, you know, there's an extra. It's it, it can't just be the traditional family sure. prayer or short uh, blessing. Uh, but in the prayers of many families, there's always this line of uh, remind us of the needs of others. And I hear you saying that at the Thanksgiving meal that we're all most all preparing to sit down at a very rich, uh, you'd almost say, you know, over the top meal well, that reflects our plenty that we uh, might be forgetting uh, that we don't, that many of us close by are not uh, living in, in a time of plenty. Speaking of Thanksgiving prayers, I, I, was, I used to go live with my grandfather up in the Valley of Virginia in the summer, and he was an associate reformed Presbyterian, Bob, and uh, mm-hmm. we had prayers every night. It wasn't just a, a special occasion. We read from the scripture, and he and every Saturday night, I never will forget this, we would sit down in the back of the store, which he had, and he would calculate every dime of a transaction that had been run that week, and he'd take 10%, and he'd put it in this separate envelope, and we'd go over to Old Providence Church Sunday morning, and that went into the collection. He he was very, very, very firm about that, and uh, he... Uh, he didn't wait until it, he didn't net it out. He grossed it. I mean, he just took From it the off top. the top, and From he didn't wait until he'd taken expenses and taxes and electricity. That never entered his mind. But uh, yes, uh, anybody who watches today, you look at the papers, you look at television, everything else, the emphasis is on how much more you can get, how much more you can buy, how richer this or richer that, how bigger the car. And those who came back in my generation, uh, that isn't that isn't what we think this is all about. Uh, this country's got to find its way back to so, some greater civility in the conduct of its elections, it's, and that in, implies that you are more much more sensitive to the needs of other people. And this has to become policy, not just something I do once at Thanksgiving and once at Christmas, big meal. Well, what about Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday before and after? Yeah. Well, it's easy to be critical, and I find – you all have got to help me with this. It's easy to be critical of um, the articles in the paper about people who concentrate on Thanksgiving or Christmas as a time to give a turkey to a poor family or to do you know, to do one thing one time and sort of get it off their chest. On the other hand, um, as I say, you can't just do it once, but I keep thinking this is – you know, don't be critical. This is a start. You know, it, well, this sure. is a reminder. This is a, a sim, this is a symbol of wanting to do more. 
Well, well I, th I think that's true. But if, if, you, if you live through the Great Depression, I did, and my generation did as teenagers, uh, your life is disciplined by factors much more different than the generations living today with all the affluence that surrounds them. Not that I'm, I think they're negative at all, but I don't think we do enough to tell young people today there's a greater life here, there's a better life here that's more rewarding to you if you turn your energies occasionally to the more compassionate thinking, the more direct involvement of behavior. Uh, I was reading George Will this morning. I know I'm a yellow dog Democrat. And he's a Republican, <laughs> but he devotes that entire column to the issue of civility in our culture today. Mm. Now, that's a big word when you put it on an umbrella-like connotation, meaning what are you doing with yourself? Where, where are you going with your energies? Uh, yes, be gainfully employed, make a decent living, but th there's so much more to life than doing that. And that's why I go to hear Bob Dunham preach, because he teaches me that. <laughs> well, Bob Dunham is, is thinking about preaching a Thanksgiving sermon on Thanksgiving Day. And, uh, Bob, you're the, the um, senior minister at University Presbyterian Church. Uh, but, and you all share, I, I, you and your fellow pastors share the, uh, either the responsibility or the joy of preaching on the, or the, the short straw, whichever. The short straw. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you, you, if you're like me, uh, you're not like me. But if you were like me, uh, you wouldn't be very far along on this sermon, I, not until the <laughs> night before. But you are different, and I bet you've been thinking about this a long time. Well, I have. It's, um, it's always an opportunity to remind people of um, the roots of gratitude and what it is that, um, that not just what it is we have to be thankful for, because all of us can count those things, but what is it that stirs our gratitude in the first place? And, and thinking about um, the kind of people we are and, and uh, whether gratitude wells up naturally or is something that is forced. Um, you know, you hope that it wells up naturally because of the, the sense of the way in which we are sojourners in this land. Um, and and uh, we've gotten so much into uh, kind of an ownership society that we, we, we forget about the stewardship of, of, uh, of, of the resources that have been given to us. And uh, we need reminders of that. I hope to do some of that in, in this to remind uh, uh, myself first and then others who hear um, of the the wellspring of gratitude that's there. Mm. But I, th I think Bill Friday's put his hand, uh, his finger on something that's very uh, important too, and that is you cannot do a Thanksgiving service in these days without reminding us of um, the obligation toward the common good. Um, it was a part of the the Pilgrim's vision. It was a part of the of the the nature of, of Thanksgiving from the beginning. That that we and I'm I don't have a problem with people who who uh, make a special effort at Thanksgiving or Christmas to give a turkey or to give. It's a, a good thing. I, uh, think, I mean, yeah. I think it's a good thing. Small deeds uh, lead to big big deeds. I think sometimes, and I think that's a very important thing. But I think there's also a real need in our time to focus on policy. Uh, to think beyond partisan politics, but to think about the way in which this country is drifting. Um, uh, and and I, I really think we need um, 
people of goodwill on, on both sides of, of, of every legislative aisle to re- remind us of the common good. Let's um, take a quick break and come back and talk some more about this point, about the common good and the time of th- Thanksgiving being, being an appropriate time. Uh, to reflect on our responsibilities in that regard. I'm talking to uh, William Friday and the Bob Dunham, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Who's Talking. This is D.G. Martin. We're thinking about Thanksgiving and the kinds of thoughts that come into our minds. I'm uh, privileged to have with me, helping me reflect, uh, William Friday, President Emeritus of the University of North Carolina, and Robert Dunham, Senior Minister at the University of Presbyterian Church. And Bob, you were talking about how, um, talking about the responsibility of the common good, which sometimes gets lost in modern times, and the importance of public policy. It's hard to talk about public policy without getting into politics and sometimes into partisan politics. Well, How do you course, do that? Of course, that's do? true, and, and it's very. I, I I walk a fine line, and there are those who think I cross it all the time, and there I I really um, work very hard. Um, I don't think you can. I don't think you can address modern needs from the pulpit or from the uh, the educator's uh, desk or from any other position without being political. The 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 trick I think is trying not to be partisan all the time. Um, there are people on, uh, of goodwill on, on, uh, of, of all political stripes who are working these days to try to remind us of the common good. And I think uh, we um, really do need to pay attention to that. We're, we're, we're really becoming a society that's deeply um, uh, divided in a lot of ways. And, and one of the things we saw in post-Hurricane Katrina, in very vivid form, is the, the, the the insidiousness of poverty in this land. Um, I think uh, at this Thanksgiving time, um, to be uh, focused only on our own consumption is um, is just an, an immoral thing. I think we've got to um, we've got to think in it with a larger vision. Um, and budgets, national budgets, state budgets, um, are moral documents. That's one of the things that's. Uh, mm been said more than a, a few times, but I think that's, um, they're, they're moral documents and we need to, we need to take a look at what they say about ourselves. Well, there's, I'm, there's an idea about Thanksgiving, notwithstanding the wonderful meal that we have, that it has traditionally been a, a non-consumption holiday in the sense that we're not buying presents or we're not really trying to uh, dress up our houses too much. It's, it's a family, it's, been traditionally a family time, but in the ads on Thanksgiving Day, you've got this, I mean, they'll be thick with um, the uh, incentives to go out and start buying so that Thanksgiving is almost like a little mental fast (laughs) or (laughs) reflection before a whole (laughs) month of nothing but um, what am I going to buy for so-and-so and and what am I going to get and all of that. it's, it's the launch pad for a, a season of consumption. D.G., in North Carolina this morning, when we got up to come out here with you, there were over a million people who live in the circumstances Bob was just characterizing. Over 300,000 of those people are children. Now, far too many of these people have absolutely no health care, no hope for health care. 
an article last week said that our state this past year had greater evidence of child abuse than ever in its history. Poverty causes child abuse. So at Thanksgiving, these are the statistics that we have to face. They're the reality of our state, not, not something that we're guessing about. And the tragedy of it is it's gotten worse in the last two or three years. And uh, I don't think the public policy debate has been about this. We've been so concerned about a lottery. We've been so concerned about incentives to bring companies here and this kind of thing. But we're not keeping our eye on that workforce that's so essential to the health of the state, <clears throat> if you want to view this just on economic grounds. But I'm, I certainly agree with Bob. I, I think these are really serious moral questions that this generation is going to have to reconcile some way. My generation did its thing. But uh, here we are now face-to-face with this sitting as the world power, but we're being nudged now by the Chinese, and the significance of the president's visit shouldn't be lost at this time. And if you followed it on television, you saw where the great threat base lies. And uh, so there's every reason in the world at Thanksgiving to think seriously about these problems, and we begin dealing with them at home. It's interesting that you bring up um, the Chinese experience. And since I spent two weeks in China, I think I'm the world's leading expert on China now. <laughs> but, but one of the things that I noticed that uh, kind of brought home uh, the conflict in policy objectives that rises whenever we start talking about what we need to be doing to lift up uh, those uh, who are behind us economic-wise and, and, and recognize the benefit to ourselves of doing that is looking at China, where for many years there, there, the theory was if, if we're all going to be the same and we'll all be poor and we'll all enforce mm-hmm. that and we don't like rich people. Now what they found out is that if they let a few rich people loose, it creates a lot of economic wealth that uh, can be of benefit, that it creates wealth that if properly distributed can be a benefit to everyone. But they're now dealing even more starkly than we are with the uh, differences that what what it does to a society to have very rich people and very poor people living close by that that has created a strain for them that is less maybe we're used to it but less less pronounced here so the question policy wise is that when you start doing these things to equalize wealth do you put some of these people who are the wealth creators our friends the entrepreneurs and the people who know how to get things done and build businesses, all these things are great for us. Do you put them out of business when you start saying, we're going to take care of the poor people and you take care of yourself, you rich people? If you look at what Congress was debating this past few days, let's cut food stamps, let's cut student aid money, let's cut, and let's give that wealthy group another tax cut. That's Uh, as Jim Wallace wrote in the paper the other day, that's an immoral way to look at things. This is what Bob means by budget being statements of policy. Uh, It's an embarrassment to see something like that happening at this stage of political debate. uh, To accomplish the objectives that our leadership has set forth before us, to suffer the poor to gain the advantage. And I I just think it's wrong. And we're going to pay for it before we're through because we're the debt of the country continues to mount. And if you saw who, hold, who holds the biggest lump sum of that, the Chinese, 
Yeah. And the trade deficit this year is over $200 billion. So here we go again. Let's take a quick break. And then, Bob Dunham, I want you to jump in on this. And um, we're talking about Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving has led us into a discussion of public policy. I'm uh, Bill Friday and Bob Dunham, and I'll be right back. Welcome back to Who's Talking. This is D.G. Martin. I'm visiting with uh, Robert Dunham, the senior minister at the University Presbyterian Church, and with William Friday, the president emeritus of the University of North Carolina. We're talking about Thanksgiving, and we're worrying a little bit about it and some of the things that maybe we ought to be thinking um, thinking about. Uh, Bob uh, and uh, Bill Friday, you all have led me to the importance of what the uh, responsibility for those of us who have more uh, than others uh, to deal with the common good from a public policy standpoint. And it, Bob, it sort of uh, has me worried that if you talk too much about policy and the kinds of things that we do together and waiting on the common good, the government to do things, it gives us an out in terms of the uh, some of the personal responsibility that we might feel to do some things that we could do either individually or in smaller groups. Does that worry you at all, too? Well, I think it, sure it does. I, but I, I think it's a both and. I, I want to say that people need to be engaged in the political processes because um, if we're not engaged in them, uh, if people of goodwill are not engaged in political processes, um, um, we will, we will lose so much of an opportunity. The public policy can do so much more than individuals can do or even faith communities can do. Um, and it, uh, it's a very important that governments be pushed in the direction of common good uh, concerns. But at the same time, your, your, your question is well taken. I think that uh, one of the things that Thanksgiving affords us an opportunity to do before the rush of Christmas, as you said, is to is to think seriously about the kind of people we want to be, and to look at the, to look at at where the wellspring of gratitude is in our lives. And, um, do we live lives as grateful people, or are we are we always acquisitive? Are we always wanting? Uh, are we always feeling as though we need something more to make our lives complete? Um, I shared a story of uh, personal reflection, actually, um, uh, recently in, 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 uh, with the congregation at University Presbyterian about uh, my parents, who both came through the, the Great Depression. Um, my father um, really was bitter from the, his experience in that Great Depression and lived kind of on the edge of poverty most of his life after that and, and never could get past that um, uh, bitterness um, uh, it was a very stingy person, very miserly. Um, my mother, on the other hand, um, lived through the same depression, um, uh, went through the same kinds of experiences, but in her case, really felt that um, that there were more than a few ways to be rich. Um, and she didn't live envious of other people. She lived very simply, uh, really below the poverty level a lot. Um, uh, but she... She really felt that uh, it, one of the ways that she could be rich was to cultivate fewer needs and then realize that all those needs were met. And that's a, a kind of a strange dynamic for us in this culture of consumption. But for her, it was really the thing that, that made her free. 
Uh, she w- she lived her life uh, cheerfully, gratefully. She kind of passed that on to my brother and me, and it's something that I've I've been grateful for ever since. I, I, the difference between the two is that I think she saw her life as full of gifts, um, just amazing, surprising gifts, um, which to us would seem such trivial things in so many ways, um, little things that came along that she took as great treasure. And I think if we could cultivate for ourselves something of uh, uh, that kind of sense of, of life as gifted, um, life as abundant, um, not as full of scarcity, but full of abundance, um, it, it doesn't have to be big stuff to be abundant. It can be small things to many people, but if we see them as a sign of abundance, it will live, it'll lead us to live our lives, I think, a lot more gratefully. Well, well, he is so right, D.G. The happiest Christmas in my memory bank during that Great Depression was not because all that my father could give me was a 25-cent toy, but the fact that he was there, that he embraced me, that we went walking together, and Bob speaking of the, those great qualities of gratitude and kindness and gentleness and decency, uh, manners. This is what we've lost, and this is what this Thanksgiving I'm thinking a good deal about because I'm reading a lot about there's an enormous happiness in what Bob just characterized. It was his mother's experience. Uh, you, you don't know how rich you are till you start thinking about that kind of lifestyle and life experience, and I couldn't agree with him more. I'm so glad he said it. Well, I think it's, it's uh, real important uh, for me reflecting on how to spend the time between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And, the, of course, we want to – I mean, there's no escaping the joy of finding a Christmas present for a loved one that's appropriate and that works, uh, maybe even that is more expensive than it should be. I mean, there, we can't walk away from all of that. But you all remind us that what is memorable are the connective links that we have the opportunity to enrich during this season. And that might be something you all will have me properly concentrating on. There's another thing, Bob Dunham, that I wrestle with during times of uh, thankfulness. I'm not sure whether Thanksgiving is a national holiday or a religious holiday or a little bit of a combination of both and how God fits into all of this. But I I always get a little squeamish. We were talking about the Thanksgiving prayer being a little bit more verbose maybe than it is before most meals. But you can't help but in recognition – that the three of us and most of our friends are just so blessed, just mm-hmm. you know, rich beyond all calculation mm-hmm. in comparison to any other time in the world's life or, or in comparison with almost everybody else on this earth. And the prayer of thankfulness almost gets into, God, thank you for setting me apart for being specially blessed. Then you step back from that and say, hey, is this, dan- is this kind of a dangerous theology to declare uh, that God's sort of treating me better than everybody else? Of course it is. If, if that's, what do you say if, to if that? If that's where you go, of yeah. course it is. Mm-hmm. Um, well, help uh, me. But, I, uh, but the, other, the other side of that is uh, uh, to those whom uh, much has been given, uh, uh, of them much will be expected. And I think 
um, there is an attendant obligation uh, for those who live with with more to um, uh, to do everything they can personally and in in their influence that they have the um, to to make sure that there's a better distribution of, of, of resources for everybody. So the the the, the um, obligation for those of us who might declare ourselves to be specially blessed that and to re- in recognition of how uh, fortunate we've been, maybe giving God's God credit for that is to then that the responsibility is to ask the question why. Why are you or me or why are, why have we been given this opportunity? And you're seeing <laughs> there's a pretty heavy obligation on your shoulders when well, you I start th- thinking about there that. is. I, I, I don't, there are so many different factors that lead into um, uh, our success, our abundance. Um, uh, many of them have very little to do with us. It has to do with our particular. Um, uh, circumstance in, in, in history and where we were um, uh, uh, privileged to be born um, right. and, and, and uh, the, the kinds of folks who have gone before us who have built um, uh, remarkable, uh, a remarkable country that we, we now live in. Um, uh, to live with gratitude for those things is not so much to say that God has picked us out in some way and blessed us and it doesn't bless other people. Um, it's rather to find the sources of richness in our lives and recognize that there are sources of richness, sources of richness in everyone's life. Um, I know, nowhere did I ever encounter that more clearly than when I visited the nation of Ghana some years ago in, in West Africa um, and um, found people who live in such utter poverty, but who felt that their lives were so richly blessed. Um, it's, a, it's something that I think uh, anyone can see if, if, if one looks with, with eyes of, of faith or eyes of, of, of hope, um, you see possibilities where others would not. And um, I, I wouldn't want to claim any, any special privilege on, um, because of God's favor. I think the um, God's favor rests on, on all. And if we read um, the Christian scriptures of which I, uh, from which I um, find my life, um, uh, you, you find a particular um, uh, blessing and, and bias toward those who are poor. Um, we have to pay attention to that. Um, I, there's, there's a lot in, in scripture, um, uh, the Hebrew scriptures, the Christian scriptures that speak about um, the nature of God's abundance and the importance of of God's people uh, being willing to share that abundance and not hoard. Uh, there, there's an element of gratitude, D.G., in, what, in the fact that you are aware and want to do something about people who are poor. I'm grateful for the fact that I can see that in mm-hmm. work I get to do and uh, that I feel as I feel about it, because uh, I, again, I don't think, I don't really think there's a in fulfilled life that deals only in material gain and how much money I can make and how big a house I can have and how many cars I own. That's all a part of the culture today that uh, uh, I'm not a part of. But uh, uh, I, I think I think really that uh, picking up Bob's point of gratitude. We should be thankful for those 
impulses you have and realities that come to you when you're face-to-face with these situations, and they'll happen. You cannot, you can't, there's no way you can be alive and not, not run into this. Well, well, I'm talking to William Friday and to Robert Dunham. Uh, we're reflecting on Thanksgiving and what it means to us and uh, some of the things, some of the mandates that it puts before us, and the three of us will be right back. Welcome back to Who's Talking. This is D.G. Martin. Uh, it's Thanksgiving time. I'm visiting with uh, William Friday uh, and with Robert Dunham, who are, uh, well, I guess, is it fair to say we're helping each other sort of take a look at Thanksgiving from different directions? Bob, we talked about some serious stuff, and thanks for helping us focus on uh, some of the uh, heavy responsibilities that fall on us at Thanksgiving time, particularly if if we've been especially uh, feel a sense of being specially blessed. How about looking back in looking back in your life and sharing with us um, a Thanksgiving memory that's on your mind now? I think um, the Thanksgiving I'll always remember is sort of the most special. We I sh- should preface this by saying my family always. Um, gathered with extended family for Thanksgiving. We always had 20 or 30 people around uh, various tables um, <laughs> at Thanksgiving. My my mother had uh, uh, four siblings, and they all lived in approximate uh, range of each other. And we, we ended up uh, gathering at one home or another every Thanksgiving. It was a big family time, and I remember that. But the one I remember particularly was um, my freshman year in college. I had... Um, left Florida where I grew up, central Florida, and come to North Carolina to, to, uh, to school. And um, on the night before Thanksgiving, I left uh, Davidson, North Carolina, and drove uh, all the way to Florida with a group of friends, got into um, uh, central Florida about uh, early morning, and, um, and just went and crashed it. My uncle knew I was coming and left me a Key, I went and crashed at their house, just uh, got there in the wee hours of the morning, slept. When I awoke, my whole family was standing around me. I'm talking about 20 or 30 people in my bedroom saying, Happy Thanksgiving. It's time to get up. Um, it had been a, a, a wonderful freshman experience that year, but uh, it was a real sense of being connected with home. That you're again. back home for real. And, and that's that. Um, that experience of home is something that I carry with me most every Thanksgiving, even oh, yeah. though we've moved a lot and been in different places and different uh, – as I've always tried to provide that for my children, that sense of, of – And who's coming this Thanksgiving? Got the whole, got the whole family together. We're all, we're all together and looking forward to that. Well, well, Mr. Friday, you can look back a long time. You shared with us earlier some of the uh, – on the street, on Franklin Street – Thanksgiving is well, that, uh, but can you take us back even further, or what's what's the well home? The emphasis on home was at our place, just like Bob. But my greatest memory was the first time I decided that I was smart enough to cook the Thanksgiving turkey. <laughs> so I marched over and got Fanny Farmer's cookbook, and I turned to the place of how to roast a turkey, and I measured everything out, and I met up to Cliff's Meat Market and got my turkey and weighed it out and. Uh, You've never seen such a 
display of the squirt tube based in that bird every 30 minutes as it turned brown. And then it began to get brown in one place and not in another, and I didn't know what to do with it. And I yelled to Ida, who was a trained home economist, and she rescued me. But that was 25 years ago. I've gotten pretty good at it now. Are you, are you the uh, <laughs> not, turkey cook ever since? Every year since then until this year. And this year, uh, we've got so many people coming. We're going to go have the buffet down at the university club, which makes it a lot easier. <laughs> well, getting um, a little old for that now. Uh, just selfishly, uh, I'm responsible for the Christmas turkey this year. You want year. me to loan you and, the cookbook? Well, I just know I want you. I don't put much stock in cookbooks that I can't understand, but I'm looking for – what I'm looking for is for somebody who will confirm the advice that somebody else yeah. gave me, which is don't worry too much about it. Be sure it's defrosted. Then put it in the oven, turn the oven on, and leave it alone <laughs> – and it'll be all right. <laughs> no, that won't work. <laughs> you set it at 350, and you melt you melt a half a cube of butter in a Pyrex cup, and that's your basting till the butter runs out, and then you baste it with its own juices, opening it up every 30 minutes to check it. And then if you bought one of these birds that has that thermometer in it, when it pops up, that's supposed to tell you it's done, but I won't mind a little bit more brown than that. But I think of DG... Cooks his the way he says he's going to cook it. He may be joining you at the buffet. I'm going to say we might have to rescue him, Bob, before this is all over. <laughs> well, you can, I will, gr- I you can grind the cranberries. That that's so easy. I'm not going to argue with you about anything else that we talked about. But I will tell you that the um, <clears throat> that my method of cooking a turkey has served me pretty well. And it is uh, it's indicative of some things that you both of you all have taught me over. Time, and that is that you pick out the things to worry about, things that you can, the, the things in life that you can, um, that, that that you can make a difference with, and you worry about those a lot. And then those things that you can't make a difference about, you uh, don't worry about, and take time to worry about other things. And I'm just arguing with y'all that cooking a turkey <laughs> is one of those things that you shouldn't worry too much about. That the oven and the um, and the turkey itself will do. Most of the work for you, if you get the temperature right, don't overcook it. Let it rest afterwards. And um, But it's the first thing Mr. Friday and I have ever disagreed about, and so I'm glad to find something <laughs> that can happen. Well, you cut the temperature back from after you get it first brown at 350 <laughs> to 300. If you baste uh, it every half hour, you'll make it. Well, um, I, 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 we've got a, a, a minute more to go. I first of all, I want to thank uh, Bill Friday and Bob Dunham for taking time to give me guidance about Thanksgiving. Well, thank all of y'all for listening, and all the three of us wish you uh, happy, a blessed Thanksgiving time with your family and a time for both reflection and for great thankfulness. Thanks to you both. Thank, thank you. you. I'll see or talk to all of y'all same time tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs>